What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to my social life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly. As always, today's podcast is powered by TrueFan, and today is a takeaways episode. And if you're new here, what a takeaways episode is, is where I sit down and I talk to you about the most recent podcast episode of the week. And today, we're discussing my conversation with Eric DeHaan. Now, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the full podcast yet, no worries. Eric is the CEO and co-founder of Open Influence, formerly known as Instabrand, a massive influencer marketing agency. And Eric himself is a pioneer of the influencer marketing industry. And Open Influence is a massive business. They have offices, if I'm not mistaken, in LA, San Francisco, Chicago, New York, London, maybe Milan, and Shanghai. They do millions and millions of dollars a year in revenue. They've raised at least two and a half million dollars. I found that from their series. I'm not sure if they raised any more, but this is a big business and they've been doing it since I believe late 2012, early 2013. So it was really cool for me to get the chance to speak to Eric, someone who's been in the influencer marketing game for seven, eight years now and a real pioneer of this industry. It was interesting. He was talking about how, how that when they started, like influencer wasn't even the word. There wasn't really a coined term for these people that they were working with. Sometimes it was blogger, it was YouTuber, it was creator, it was celebrity, it was internet celebrity. It was there, there was no definition of the word. There was no defined way to, to, to talk about this collection, this group of people. And that's where like a lot of people give influencer a bad rap. And I understand that, but at the end of the day, like I use influencer and I don't really care about it anymore. I believe even if you go back to this, the trailer of the podcast back from 2018, I'm pretty sure I said that like, I don't like the term influencer. And over the last two and a bit years, my tone has changed on it. I honestly have no issues with the term influencer. Uh, It's just an industry term for me at this point. It's a widely accepted and understood term. When I say influencer, you know what I'm talking about. If I say creator or something else, like you won't necessarily like that. That can be misconstrued. I mean, influencer can to an extent, but influencer is such a widely understood term. Um, And I do use creator interchangeably with influencer, depending on when I'm speaking or sometimes when I'm writing copy, I don't use the word influencer over and over and over again. Um, But my, my tune towards the word influencer has changed. I have no problem with it. I know some people do, um, but I personally don't, Uh, but it was just interesting to hear that what people used to say before the word influencer was coined. And now another thing too that Eric talked about from from early on in the pot or early on in early in the podcast and early on in the history of of open influence was that he and he said this he subtly referenced this and it it's really stood out to me and I really wanted to highlight it but it was literally one two three four six words and that was it we didn't dive into it, it as literally an answer to a different question he just kind of casually slipped this into his answer um, probably with no like any other intent it was just contextualizing his answer but what he said was was instagram was a platform for kids and that was just what when they first started open influence that's what it was instagram was a platform for kids does that sound familiar to you if it doesn't maybe well let's think about it then does maybe maybe sound like tiktok a little bit i mean maybe not right now because it's aging up but tiktok Eight months ago, TikTok 12 months ago, it's just a platform for kids. 
only kids are on it. Adults aren't on it. It's just kids. It's just high schoolers. Like high school, like 12 to 18 years old. Like that doesn't matter. Why would I go on TikTok? TikTok's a platform for kids. But Instagram was also a platform for kids. And from my understanding, Facebook was just for college students. Actually, I know Facebook was just for college students when it started. For one specific college, if I'm not mistaken. MySpace was originally just for kids. I don't have a ton of context on MySpace. I probably shouldn't use that example. Um, But either way, TikTok was considered just a platform for kids and it's aging up and it's aging up fast. Instagram was once considered just a platform for kids and it aged up and it's where it's at today. Facebook was just college students and now your grandmother uses Facebook. So the reason I'm highlighting this and I'm pointing this out is because there's bound to be another social platform, another social network that comes along at some point. I don't know if it's going to be in 12 to 24 months. I don't know if it's going to be in five years. I don't know if it's going to be in 10 years. But at some point or another, there's going to be another social platform that rises. And I just want you to remember that when people are talking about it's, a, it's just for kids, understand that if the kids are on it and they're using it at scale, eventually everyone's going to get on it too. And People doubted TikTok because it was just for kids. And granted, the adoption rate of TikTok most definitely got accelerated as a result of the pandemic, but it was bound to happen nonetheless. Because when kids get on it, eventually there's some of those people like I remember when I first got on TikTok and I was like even late to the party. Like if you flash back to February of 2019, I interviewed Brandon Hatcher and I'm like, what's an app you're using like all the time? And he drops TikTok and this was February. So I wasn't even like early to the TikTok party, um, but I was earlier than most people my age. And I remember going into work and just being like, yo, you got to get on TikTok. You got to get on TikTok. And everyone's like, no, I'm not getting on TikTok. Like That's just for kids. And I was like, no, it's seriously funny. And like I was explaining how you can go viral and all this stuff. But no, it's just a platform for kids. And I mean, everyone's on it now. But the point I'm trying to make here is whenever that next platform comes around and you're and it's starting to get some some very wide adoption from the younger demographic, I would get on it. And I would get on it as fast as you can and I would land grab. Because there's people who jumped on TikTok early on in the day, back in the day when it first started to gain some traction, that are massive now. Right? If you go back and you look at some of the biggest TikTokers right now. Whether it be a, I'm trying to think of something like Josh Richards. I'm pretty uh, Taylor Holder. I think that's his name. These guys were on Musically, right? A lot of the, a lot of big TikTokers started when it was Musically, and they grew their audience because they were one of the first people there. Even though it's just for kids, not just for kids now. Now they're millionaires. It's crazy. So even though kids are gonna find it first, that's how it's always gonna go. Right, maybe other than LinkedIn, which is seeing some adoption, but more often than not, with a social platform, kids are going to get on it first, and then it's going to age up, and that's how it has happened. That's how it has always happened. So just pay attention for when people are starting to say the next social platform is just for kids. That's a good indicator that it's starting to gain some traction. Even if kids might be on it, but if kids are on it and older people are talking about it, that's when you know it's got some serious traction, and that's when you should jump onto it. I feel like I've been rambling. I think I just blacked out. I don't remember anything I said over the last three minutes. So we're going to move on to the next takeaway. And that is, this is a complete jump from, from kids on social networks or just a younger demo on social networks, I should say. And we're talking about investing and raising funds. And this is just something become like startup culture and raising money and all these things. Something that's becoming more and more of an interest of mine reading books on it, following all these investors on Twitter and different things. Um, so 
when I learned that Eric had raised money with his business, I was curious to ask him about it. And the takeaway here was that how investors like to look for social proof. Obviously, they're going to look for revenue. They're going to look for users if you're a platform or if you're a marketplace. But what investors are also going to look for is social proof in the form of other investors. Who do they know that's coming in on this deal? Who's putting money into this round that they know? Because they know if someone that's credible that they know and respect is in the deal, then they might, they're going to think that, oh, there's something here. And then they're going to be inclined to put in money as well. A powerful personal network, a powerful network can take you so many places. So if you can get a notable VC in, or investor into your round, it's only going to help you raise more money. So with that in mind too, as a company, I mean, yes, you want to raise money as much money as you can, but, and I've also recently been watching a, the blitz scaling class, which was taught at Stanford in 2015. It's on YouTube uh, by the Greylock partners YouTube channel because it was hosted or uh, the class was taught by Reed Hoffman from LinkedIn. And I think the both co-founders of LinkedIn and a couple other people, Uh, but I'm watching this, this class. My spare time, it's on YouTube. It's free, which is insane. They have some high-powered guest speakers that come through there. I think there's like 18 or 19 of these these lectures. And in the one I was watching recently, Reed was ta- Reed Hoffman was talking about how at LinkedIn they never took the best deal. They never took the most money when they were raising. And you might be hearing that, you're like, "Why? That's crazy." But the reason they did it was to make sure they partnered with the right investors. Right. So they want to partner with the right people that help them scale and grow this business. And how they can do that is one, of course, through their expertise, but it's also through their network. You want to make sure you're partnering with the right VCs. Granted, now this is coming from pardon me, this is coming from someone who's never raised a dollar in their life for a business. So please take that with a little grain of sweat. I'm about to say a little grain of salt, but this is just kind of my takeaway from my conversation with Eric as as was kind of reflecting on it and some of the other things I've just been hearing lately too, or that I've been learning lately is look for the investors that have a network that's going to benefit you. Don't just take the investor that's going to give you the most money, but then not be the most involved in the business. You want to find investors who are going to help you grow, and investors with a powerful network can be very, very beneficial to your business. And it was just interesting to hear Eric say that, how other investors will wait for social proof from one investor that they know before entering in a deal, unless they're absolutely certain on it. Um, So that was just an interesting little takeaway. That's probably one... Just one, just based off of everything, all the content, the book I'm reading, and the books I'm, the content I'm consuming, the books I'm reading. This is just an interesting takeaway for me to hear. Um, but we'll move on from there. We'll bring it back over to the influencer marketing side. And I asked Eric, which I was, I was interested to hear, what he defines as influence. And in Eric's words, he says, influence is trust. Because if, no, if someone doesn't trust you, they're not going to listen to what you have to say. But if someone does trust you, they might take your, they're going to take your recommendation seriously. And you can have 5 million followers on Instagram, but if your followers don't actually trust you and they don't listen to your recommendations, then do you actually have influence, right? You want to build up a rapport, a connection with your audience so they actually listen to you when you recommend something. And in doing that, that means you don't want to recommend every single thing that comes your way, every single brand that wants to partner with you, because if you partner with every single brand, even if you don't believe in it, your audience is going to catch wind of that and you're going to dilute 
the trust that you have with your audience. And so trust, so influence is trust. Influence isn't necessarily followers. As Eric says, it's a vanity metric. Influence is whether you can actually influence the people that follow you. If you can't do that, of course you're going to get deals with from brands that don't know what they're doing that just look at your follower count and want to partner with you. But the best way is to build rapport with your audience. An influencer is someone that can actually influence at the end of the day. And I just was curious to hear that because I feel like a lot of people get that. And that's what Eric said. Is a lot of people get confused and they just look at the follower count or they look at the likes or the engagement. And that's a piece of it. Of course, that matters. But that's not the only thing you should focus on. And actually, speaking of engagement, one thing that Open Influence did that I that Open Influence does that I was super not obviously impressed by, but they're a multi-million dollar agency, of course. Not that impressing me is anything crazy, but is what they do when they're looking at different influencers is they don't just break it down by like average engagement or average comments. They get super duper granular and they break it down by a post by post basis. And then they separate all of those posts into different categories so they can separate what your average engagement is or your average likes or comments, whatever by post type. So they can tell like if, so for example, say you're a fitness creator and when you talk about working out and your workout routines, we'll say your average here, you're a fitness creator. Your average likes is 1000 likes. But when you talk about your workout routines and you share like your actual workout routines, you get 1500 likes. When you share posts about your nutrition, you only get 500 likes. So open influence, of course, this is just a very high level example. Like they get even more granular than that, but they will look at that. And so instead of when, when a brand comes and Hey, we want to partner with someone in the fitness space to promote whatever workout equipment, they're not just going to go, okay, this influencer has 1000 average likes. They're going to go, okay, they have 1500 likes for workout related content, but then they have 500 related for nutrition. So they actually get more than what their average engagement is for, for workout related content. So you should partner with this influencer versus if a nutrition company comes, we'll say like a protein shake company comes and to open influence and they want to partner with fitness influencers, they're going to look at this influence and they're going to say, okay, they have a thousand average likes. They get 1500 average likes when they post about their workout, but they only get 500 average likes when they post about their nutrition. So we probably shouldn't partner with this specific fitness influencer because the type of product, which would the type of product that would fall into the type of content the type of content that would fall under the product they're promoting only gets an average of 500 likes. So it's probably best to skip that one and find someone else. And I thought that was super interesting because I've never actually heard of anybody doing it that way, looking at their average engagement by content type. But that is definitely a big factor into the success of the campaign. And they'll even look at like, so for example, say they look at that fitness influencer, 1500 average likes for workout related content. Then they can break it down and go, okay, but what's the average engagement when it's a promoted post versus a non-promoted post. And they can see that maybe it's like 1800 when it's a non-promoted post and a 1350 when it is a promoted post. Um, so they can really, they just really break it down to a super granular level. And I've never really heard anybody talk about doing it that way. And I thought that was super interesting. And I really liked that approach because it gives you a more holistic picture of what it gives you a more refined picture. I should say of what this influencer is going to do for you. And I just feel like a lot of people look at those average engagement and this and that and like, oh, it looks like sometimes they get like 1400 likes on a post, but it's like, okay, but will they get that much when you promote it? 
when they post for you, when they promote your product. And Open Influence is able to give you, paint that good picture of how to do that. And I just think more companies should do it that way. More companies should look at to they should look at refining their review process and as another thing we talked about on this podcast with eric was that influencer marketing is a very precise when it comes to influencer marketing you should take a precise approach not just a shotgun approach you shouldn't partner with as many influencers as you can and just hope for the best you should take your time and vet each influencer individually and that can be a little bit daunting because that takes time and to break down an influencer on a post-by-post basis can be challenging i mean you don't have to do it super duper in depth if you don't want to but at least take like five posts related their five most recent posts related to fitness and their five most recent posts related to nutrition to try and give you a good idea um but take that time to vet these influencers because you're paying the money. You're going to want to get the best results. So don't rush your process of finding an influencer. Take that time, find the right one, right? Whether it be so self-plug or plugging the sponsor, of course, which again, not paid to actually plug them in this way, uh, but I like to give them a shout out when I can. True Fans platform, Social Rank. They have a feature called Cerebro that allows you to filter down all filter down off, I think they have 1.5 billion accounts on Instagram right now uh, in their database. You can filter down through these 1.5 billion creators by different keywords and bio, following size, verified, all these different metrics. And you can create a list um, looking within the exact interests that you're looking for. And so you could pull out, the, you could narrow down this 1.5 billion to the exact type of influencers you're looking for, and then you can vet them even further by looking at their average post type. So I just think it's really crucial to take the time to find the right influencers. And that's what Eric was saying is instead of doing a shotgun approach and partnering with like 15 different creators and just add whatever, like hope one of these or one or two of these hit, then you're just hoping that one of these creator so actually if we want to look at it like a mental model which bear with me here i'm going to do my best to explain this one um but there's the 80 20 principle right which is the pareto principle which says that on average in the world 20 percent of outputs come or 80 percent of outputs come from 20 percent of the results so what does that mean so if you look at for example say you're making money 80 percent of your money is going to come from 20 percent of your efforts and the other 80 or 20 percent of your money is going to come from 80 percent of your efforts so what are more of those 20 percent efforts that lead to more returns that you could be doing and so a lot of people take a shotgun approach with influencer marketing and they hope that a couple of them to work but instead of partnering with well, instead of partnering with 10 influencers and letting two of them drive most of the results, why don't you take the time in the beginning up front to vet all of your influencers, identify those best two in the beginning and save yourself a ton of money by just going to those two influencers that are going to lead to more of the results. Take the time. It's going to save you money. It's going to take a little bit extra time, but it's going to save you money and get you better results in the long run. So don't use a shotgun approach when it comes to influencer marketing. Use a targeted approach or as eric says a precise approach and the last thing that i wanted to talk about here on the podcast today was when we were talking about different influencer marketing trends and if you haven't listened to this podcast and you're interested in influencer marketing i highly recommend you check it out probably the last i think it was like half hour of the podcast like we just talked different trends and i asked him his opinion on different influencer marketing things and we talked about each platform and virtual influencers and micro influencers the whole bit but when I was asking him, I was asked about nano influencers. And so nano influencers are people with like 2000 followers or less. And I was like, is this a trend you're seeing? Are people starting to partner with this more? Like, at what point are you even an influencer anymore? Like what, like, or like at the end of the day, and I think he, he talked about how it's just like, are we just getting into regular people at this point? 
with nano influencers. And he says that the economics of a the economics of working with nano influencers doesn't make sense. And you're gonna have to work with nano influencers the same way you work with like your your customers or your top customers, your engaged customers. It's gonna be a similar structure where you're not going to give them like the example he uses Nike. You're not going to give someone with 1500 followers a free pair of shoes. That's a $200 investment for you. And will they be able to bring in that much on their side? And so instead you have to, whether it be through referral programs or you give them commissions or something like that. And he said that, and where my takeaways wasn't explicitly what he said, but he says that the way you work with nano influencers is the same way you work with like highly engaged customers. And so with that in mind, then why like my thought process there is why even work with the nano influencers then? Just work with your highly engaged customers, which are probably going to fall under that that umbrella of, in terms of follower size, are going to fall under that umbrella of nano influencers, and and then your engaged and loyal followers are going to be the people that are going to be able to sell your product the best, right? It's you're going to be able to sell your product the best, <laughs> and with like you no no influencers can be able to outsell like in terms of like a one on one pitch basis than someone who loves your product right? Coming back to that trust factor, if you can tell somebody genuinely loves your product, they're going to be able to sell it so well. So instead of trying to find the perfect quote unquote nano influencer, you have a long list of amazing nano influencers you can partner with that follow you already. And again, to plug the sponsor of this podcast, you can identify them using social rank, which is true fans platform. So I would highly recommend instead of trying to find the perfect follower with 1500, the perfect person that has 1500 followers to promote your product just leverage the people who would be stoked to do it already if someone loves your product odds are if you reach out to them like yo i'd like you to promote our product they're gonna be down heck they're probably doing it for free already so might as well reward them in some capacity so that was my last takeaways while nano influencers are great look for the nano influencers that already exist within your community because they're gonna be able to sell your product better than any other nano influencer um, but other than that, my last take, I'm not even really a takeaway, but I hope to get Eric back on the podcast at some point because there was a lot of other things I really wanted to talk to him about. Um, mainly like, I mean, obviously there's more we could have dove into with influencer marketing and he gave me an hour of his time, which I genuinely, genuinely appreciate. Like anybody that's willing to come on this podcast, I appreciate it. And like I said too, like he's the CEO of a multi-million dollar marketing agency. So the fact that he was willing to give me five minutes means a lot. Like he's a busy guy. I'm sure he's a jam-packed schedule. So to carve out even more than an hour, because I went a little bit over and we took like the selfie I always take and all that. So I'm genuinely appreciative of that. But there was so much more I wanted to talk to him about. Like there's more influencer marketing things we could have spoken about. I really wanted to dive in to just growing the business. As he talked about starting from a duplex, running it out of a duplex where an extra room they had like they had one room was just like a table with monitors. They like influencers are coming by the place to pick up checks to a multi-million dollar agency with offices around the world. Like what is that story? How do they get there? Eric is also a Forbes 30 under 30. He's been an Inc. 30 under 30. Have they been on the Inc.'s five? thousand list two years 2018 and 2019 so there's a lot of other stuff we could have talked about had to cut it short just to make sure i didn't make him already later to his meeting than i was but hopefully one day i get him back on the podcast and we can talk more about all of that other stuff i just want to highlight that here because i wanted everyone to have the context of just how accomplished eric is and i highly recommend you guys check him out check out open influence i'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below if you'd like to 
find it. Eric, the best place to connect him, he said is LinkedIn. So I'll make sure that's linked up. That's linked down there. Uh, if you'd like to follow me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at the Jacob Kelly. Feel free to come and say hello. My DMs are always open. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. I am Jacob Kelly on LinkedIn. My photo at the time of this recording is me with a mic and my light box. Maybe it'll change, but probably not. That's my photo. As of right now, I'm also the owner of Jack Marketing. If that will help with your search, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Other than that, if you'd like to follow the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at My Social Life Podcast or YouTube by searching up My Social Life. If you enjoyed me ranting and rambling here with my conversation with Eric DeHaan, be sure to leave it a rating and a review. The more positive ratings and reviews we get, the more it helps new people find the show, and it really helps to grow the community that we're developing here. If you're one of the people that have recently found the podcast, welcome. I'm very excited to have you here. Thank you for tuning in to your first episode of My Social Life. Put up brand new interviews every single Monday, brand new takeaways episodes as an audio exclusive of every single single Thursday. So make sure you subscribe. As always, today's podcast is powered by TrueFan. Thank you once again for listening, everybody. We'll talk soon.